up? Welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by the score. I'm Joe Wolfond, and we are sponsored today by Subway. I am joined in studio by the one and only Instagram celebrity, John Chick. What's up, Wolfond? And uh, remotely by perpetual jet setter, Joseph Cacharo. What's going on? Is the is uh, Chicks Husky in the studio too? Speaking uh, of Instagrams, yeah, I wish it's it's coming down a lot of snow uh, right now, which uh, you're missing being in Los Angeles. Uh, the dog would love this. I, I actually don't have Instagram, so I haven't seen any of the famed uh, John Chick with his Husky videos. But uh, I've heard great things. You're missing some great entertainment. Yeah, that's what I hear. Um, we're gonna kick off today's show with a new segment. It's called Sweet versus Heat. Brought to you by the team at Subway, whose new sweet versus heat chicken sandwiches are making people choose which side they're on. Um, so for this segment, we're each going to nominate uh, one player uh, who we feel has demonstrated some particularly sweet moves and one team that we feel is low-key on a bit of a hot streak. So we'll start with the sweet element of that equation, Cash. I'll start with you. Um, who do you feel has demonstrated some sweet moves as of late? Uh, I'm going to start with Trey Young. Uh, I think a little bit of an under-the-radar pick because uh, his team's not in the playoff mix and maybe people aren't watching Hawks games uh, in late February of a lost season. But Trey, after kind of a slow start, really picked it up uh, the last couple months. Uh, I think he's like shooting 40% from three over his last 33 games, going back to mid-December. So the thing that, you know, was the reason he got drafted so high, the shooting is, is finally coming through at the NBA level. Um and I don't know if you guys saw, but he absolutely picked apart Blake Griffin and Reggie Bullock on a move. Uh, I think it was last week where he went, he was driving to the hole. He goes between his legs from behind, then wraps it around Blake Griffin. Uh, and then he also had a sweet, uh, against the Rockets earlier this week, he had a sweet pullback, kind of like step back, had the ball on a string, he drained a three. He actually made eight threes against the Rockets. Uh, so I'm going with Trey Young because I think he is a guy that was a little unfairly dismissed early in the season. People gave up on him real early because we're not gave up on him career-wise, but kind of gave up on his season because of how poorly he was shooting it early in the year. And everyone's comparing him to Luka Doncic, obviously, because uh, of the draft day trade. And I still think the Hawks were insane for that. But give you on credit, he's he's developed over the course of his rookie season as opposed to hitting a wall and slowing down. He's kind of at the opposite kind of year most rookies have. And he's playing well and shooting the hell out of it right now. Yeah, and if you haven't seen that move uh, that Trey Young pulled on the Pistons, I highly recommend that you go and watch it now. It's pretty insane. Um, it was Bruce Brown, who's also a rookie uh, on the Pistons, who was guarding him. And did I say Bruce Bowen? I don't think you did. I, think I said Bruce. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, but I think even Bruce Bowen would have been fooled by this move, <laughs> honestly. Um, basically, they ran a high pick and roll uh, with Trey Young and Dwayne Dedman, and. Trey faked a behind-the-back pass to Deadman, and instead of completing that behind-the-back pass, instead just kind of threaded the ball back between his legs, and Bruce Brown got completely turned around, uh, just looking in the complete opposite direction, and that turned the play into a, a two-on-one, basically, and then from that point, uh, Young basically faked an over-the-top lob to Deadman to kind of freeze Blake Griffin, and then threaded a pass around him to Deadman for a dunk. Uh, it was awesome, and as was that that sort of pullback uh, jumper that he hit over P.J. Tucker. Um, he He's looked really good as of late, shooting the ball. Obviously, his passing stood out, I think, from the jump, 
but uh, his ball handling, I think, has also really come along nicely. And I think there's a lot of founded hope that he is going to be an elite offensive player for a long time. Um, and I, I just think the second half that he is having is really encouraging. And the Hawks as a team have been playing pretty well for a while now. So, um, I, I, yeah, again, I think there's a, a lot of uh, a, a lot of reason to watch that team right now, actually, because John Collins has been great. Um, Kevin Herter has been playing really well. And I think, you know, you throw another high draft pick into the mix and, and that is going to be a team to watch going forward. Yeah, I mean, like I, Trey's got some of that Steph Curry that people were trying to make the connection to uh, last before he came into the NBA. Drilled like a 40-footer the other night. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that team's got a lot of stuff to figure out. Obviously, they're very young, but that backcourt uh, with Trey Young and Kevin Herter be interesting. John Collins as well. I also think it just seems like we say this every year. We're always maybe overly impressed with the rookie class that we see uh, because we don't tend to expect too much of rookies. But this is this is the best rookie class that I can remember in a long time um, between Young, Doncic. Marvin Bagley, who's also been outstanding. Um, DeAndre Ayton, I mean, Jaron Jackson, who might be done for the season, but was obviously looking pretty special when he was playing in Memphis. Um, am I wrong to think that this is the best rookie class that we've seen in a really long time? I think you're, I think you're on the right uh, track there for sure. I mean, when's the last time you had this many players? I mean, I think we know who the rookie of the year is going to be, but this kind of talent come on. I mean, last year you had, you know, De'Aaron Fox, like Alonzo Ball. I mean, obviously, we're going to with Markel Fultz. So, in recent memory, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, Another thing with Trey, too, just a quick kind of stat. Second Spectrum, I tweeted this out, but that game I was talking about against the Rockets earlier this week when he went 8 for 12 from deep, if you take the average distance of his three-point makes in that game, it was, like, the longest for a player in six years in a single game. So, like, more than – like, longer distances than Steph on average for his three-point makes in that game. Wow. Like, the guy – not that it's any surprise, but the guy can flat out shoot from anywhere. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we saw that from him in college, obviously. And I think it's funny because to start his NBA career, he really wasn't shooting the ball very well at all. Uh, he was shooting like 26% from three, I think, through his first 30-odd games. Um, so it's nice to see him shooting it well and kind of adding that to his complement of other offensive abilities. Um, so uh, let's move on to Chick. Um who have you been watching, and what sweet moves have you been seeing? So I haven't really watched <clears throat> or didn't watch for the most of the beginning of the season a lot of the Kings, and then they started to play well. Um, and But, yeah, no, I'm all in on uh, De'Aaron Fox now. And, I mean, his uh, kind of lightning-fast dribble misdirection is some of the craziest stuff I've seen. I just watched watching him in the last couple weeks. Um, yeah, this, this guy, his ability to, like, change hands in traffic. I mean, this is like watching, like, ancient video, like, Barry Sanders play football sometimes. <laughs> um, no, like, he's, like, and it's, like, I guess you, you, the comparison could be made to Kyrie with that kind of ability as a point guard, but obviously he's got a different body type. Kyrie's got a lower center of gravity. What, what makes watching De'Aaron so crazy is he's skinny, uh, he's got that Ninja Turtles headband on, and he, he's just like chaotic out there. But he's, he's like controlled chaos, you know. Um, jab stepped the other night on Derrick Rose, basically put Derrick Rose into the front row. And I mean, uh, you know, the, the Kings lost that game, but yeah, it's he's he's one of the most exciting players 
in the league right now, I think. And I think he's a big part of the Kings' success. We know what Buddy Heald's been doing. Uh, we know some of the, the uh, ingredients they've got. Um, if they make the playoffs, he's going to be a big reason why. Yeah. I'm, first, let me just say I'm all in on those Ninja Turtle headbands. <laughs> I, I think, it's fantastic. I think yeah. it's a great look. It's a great trend. Um, but obviously, I, I don't know how many players are faster with the ball in their hands than De'Aaron Fox at this point in time. Yeah. I mean, he just goes end-to-end so fast. And what's really impressed me about him is just uh, I, how, how fast he's able to move while remaining kind of under control. And the Kyrie comparison is interesting. I, he's faster than Kyrie. He also doesn't have nearly the handle that Kyrie has. But I also think that he's a better passer. Um, and his passing actually is what has stood out to me, I think, at a lot of points in time. Like, he makes these one-handed skip passes that are just like absolute lasers. Uh, and I think he's got vision. I really, it, it's incredible how dramatically he has changed the outlook of that Kings franchise. Uh, if we think of where they were or where we thought they were even at the start of this season compared to how we're looking at this team now, uh, it's pretty incredible the turnaround that he has managed to engineer. Yeah, I mean, we came into the season thinking the Kings, as usual, were the most, um, even if not dysfunctional, although they probably were, but just the, the saddest team in the NBA you know they had the darkest future they didn't seem to have any blue chip prospects and they didn't own their own first rounder this year and then yeah sure other guys have obviously stepped up uh, Buddy Heald's having a great year Marvin Bagley's a good rookie um, Yonita shot the ball well for them Collie Stein's made some improvements but the engine of it all is to Aaron Fox and like his his star turn has really turned the Kings into a team that now suddenly has one of the like you can say they have one of the best young cores in the league and he's kind of the head of that snake and you know he looks like an all-star in the making and it's just it's pretty wild to to see given what he looked like last year and you know not that he looked like a wasted pick or anything but he looked really far off from even being a competent nba guard and now he looks like a budding star it's it's kind of crazy and probably another good reminder just not to give up on these young point guards too early because in his rookie year Fox was I think he flashed a lot of ability but he was also a bit of a mess uh, and didn't quite know what he was doing on the floor like his his advanced metrics were some of the absolute worst in the NBA yeah um and and I I just think this is a good reminder that these players are not fully formed and what we see of them now is not what they're going to be um so you know whether it's a player like like Colin Sexton or you know even Trey Young uh, I just think it's important to remember that they have a lot of room to grow, and uh, we're going to be seeing, I think, much different players than these uh, in a couple of years. So, um, yeah, rookies usually suck, essentially, <laughs> and especially it's kind of what it is. Yeah, I think the Sexton comparison is interesting too because I think he's going to be much better than what you've seen. But you know, there's a real learning curve with playing NBA point guard. Um, I don't know if it's on par with NFL quarterback, but it's the same kind of idea, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the Kings in 2017 looked like they were going nowhere. They traded Boogie for Buddy Heald, and then they drafted De'Aaron Fox, who was a raw player. But look at them now, right? I mean, uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a hell of a story. Um, the guy I've been watching is Paul George. Um, not exactly like a sleeper pick or anything like that. Uh, he's been getting a lot of love, deservedly so. But I think... There are, there are so many subtleties to his game uh, that you don't really pick up on until you watch him for a long time. Um, and I've been watching a lot of Paul George lately. I wrote about him recently. Um, and his handle to me has just gotten so much... 
it's not even just that it's gotten tighter, but it's gotten so much more varied. Um, and he has all these different moves and counter moves. And in particular, like he is one of the most effective players at using the behind the back dribble. Um, not just as like a flashy move, but one that has a lot of utility. And if you watch him a lot, you'll just see he uses that on almost every time down the floor. And he uses it in, in, in a way that helps him keep his dribble alive. Uh, he has the lowest turnover rate of his career this year. Um, and one of the absolute lowest turnover rates for any player that has a usage rate as high as he is. I think it's just him, Kawhi Leonard, and Anthony Davis who have usage rates over 29% and turnover rates below 10%. He's really hard to push off of the ball. And um, I just love how he uses that dribble to kind of get to his spots. And also, like, if he is kind of turned away at the initial point of attack, he keeps that dribble alive and he'll sort of probe and wait for a seam to open up. And he ends up kind of putting together these probing serpentine drives that get him to the hoop. Uh, And I think that's been a really underrated aspect of this offensive season that he's had because obviously he shot the ball incredibly well and everybody knows that. Um, He's bombing like 10 threes a game, shooting them at 40%. He's got a beautiful stroke, but uh, I think his ball handling and his ability to get to the rim has been an underrated aspect of that. Yeah, I think just watching him, what's really impressed me about Paul George since he got to OKC is his, is just his defense. I mean, we, we know the tools he had offensively, and obviously we knew that he was, you know, an elite player both ways. But what he's done to OKC, I mean, last night I went to bed actually as soon as he had two steals in a row. It looked like OKC was going on a run, and Mike Malone called a timeout, and I figured, well, the Thunder are probably going to win this. I was tired. I had to go to bed. But – I mean, that's just the kind of effect he has on the game. And, like, you know, a career high in steals last year, he had a real case to win Defensive Player of the Year. He's really come into his own since he went to the Thunder. Yeah, it's actually insane when you consider the fact that Paul George is already um, a superstar and everyone knew it. But coming into this year, he had never averaged even 24 points per game in a season, which isn't necessarily a knock on him. It's just, you know, not everyone scores an insane volume. He's, he's up to 28.6 points per game this year. So this is a guy, like, in his, what, eighth season who's already been a perennial all-star, who's 28 years old, who somehow raised his career high in points per game by five full points this year and, like, seven points per game since last year. It, You know, I want to say it doesn't make sense. I guess it's just a combination of a lot of things, including how maniacal the worker he is and, I guess, the work he put in his game in the offseason. But, yeah... The level of improvement that he's made in one year, you just never see this from a guy who was already at like a superstar kind of level. It's It's been fun to watch. And then, yeah, you mentioned the defensive side. Like, I think he should be the favorite for defensive player of the year right now. Yeah. Um, it, he's that good on the defensive end. He's leading the league in steals um, at 2.3. Like, the way he sees the floor defensively, the way he carries that Thunder team, and then to, to be able to do that and still do what he's doing on the other uh, on the other end, to average almost 29 points a game on, what, 45, 40, 84 shooting splits is, is just insane. He's, he's having a phenomenal year, and if it wasn't for, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo and James Harden, he, he'd be a surefire MVP, but it also yeah. just kind of shows you the, the depth of star talent in the league right now. Yeah, absolutely, and I think... I would put him at least on Harden's level as far as MVP candidates go. I think Giannis, to me, is still a cut above. But I think, you know, Paul George deserves to be in that MVP conversation. He deserves definitely to be in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. I think he maybe deserves to be in the Most Improved Player conversation um, because of all those things you mentioned and the leap that he has taken 
uh, at this point in his career, I think, uh, is one that we didn't necessarily see coming and is one that we don't see very often. Um, so, honestly, just an incredible season from him all around. Um, but let's move on to some teams that we've been watching uh, and some that have maybe kind of gone under the radar a bit, but that are streaking nonetheless. Cash, I'll start with you. Who do you like? The Pistons. And I guess that's weird because when you ask it, like, who do you like? I don't want to say the Pistons because I do not like the Pistons as okay. a threatening team come the spring. But I think um, we got to give them their props for the kind of run that they're on recently. They, listen, they haven't been exactly played a, uh, a murderer's row of opponents, but they won seven of their last eight games. This is a team that had kind of fallen out of the race a little bit and looked like they were fading. And instead, they've won seven of eight. They've won three in a row. Um, they beat the Pacers the other night. They're only a game under 500 now. They're up to seventh in the East in what's kind of a sad playoff race. And they're only a game and a half back of the Nets for six. And they're tied with them in the loss column. So the Pistons went from kind of fading down the stretch to all of a sudden you know, trying to set up a first-round matchup with potentially an Oladipo-less Pacers team. Like, the, this team's ceiling, at least for this season, drastically changed over the last couple of weeks. I think, actually, Andre Drummond's really picked it up, and that, to me, has been the biggest factor in their turnaround, if you want to call it that. Um, he just looks a little bit faster, I think, Um and a little bit more engaged defensively. He's obviously been rebounding the hell out of the ball, as he always does. Um, but I think he's been more... Like, a lot of the times, I, I feel like you can see him put up empty stats, but he, to me, has been an impact guy over the last month or so. Um, and, and I think that's what's really been driving their recent success. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I, I think it was Zach Lowe or somebody tweeted out that the, the basketball Drummond's played in the last couple of weeks is, might be the best of his career. But if you look, this guy's a stat monster and has been at times. Uh, 2020 games he actually had a 2020 game about a week ago but no he's playing smarter and uh yeah that's a big part of what they're doing right now um i still think that they could use some more shooting in some capacity i mean but we will see how it plays out i think that you know there there's no reason coming into this season they shouldn't not have made the playoffs and i think that this is they're putting their talent together at the right time now and uh it would be great to see a matchup with the raptors just as an aside yeah. And, and right now it's set up to be just that, two yeah. versus seven. Have a lot of uh, traveling Raptors fans for that series, yeah. I think. Um, and, I mean, look, the Pistons, we know what the issues are with this team. Like, their front court is great. Blake Griffin is having maybe the best season of his career. They don't have any wing depth. Uh, they don't have great point guard depth. Uh, and having Reggie Jackson as, as your starting point guard is, you know, not ideal to begin with. But um, then also... You know, they traded their best wing at the trade deadline in Reggie Bullock, uh, which was a bit of a head scratcher for me and left them even thinner on the wing than they already were. So that would concern me a bit um, as they kind of look toward making this playoff push in the stretch run. But given that, you know, it is the bottom of the Eastern Conference, there isn't a ton of competition. So I would expect them to make it in. Um, Chick, who have you been keeping an eye on uh, in terms of teams that are on a bit of a run right now? Uh, actually, kind of the Blazers. Um, they're 11-4 and four in their last 15. Um, they all got stuck in an elevator apparently yesterday. So, you know, you would think that that might help their bonding a little better. But the way they've been playing lately, um, I mean, to be fair, this streak, or not a streak, but their good play started against some bad teams. But if you look back at the last two weeks, they've beaten Golden State, Philly, Spurs, Utah, um, 
And since like mid-January, they got the best offensive rating, best net rating in the league. And I think a lot of this has to do with shoring up the front court. I mean, Ennis Canner's only been there for like three games, but he's he's already added a dimension they didn't have, which is a little bit more depth in the front court. Um, when you got to rely so much on Dame and CJ, um, and you don't really have anything else, I mean, you're going to go through ebbs and flows. I think that you know, getting Canner to come off the bench and pair him with Nurkic who can be a beast when he wants to be. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and C.J. and Damon found their synergy, I think. C.J. had some bad games earlier in the season. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all, you know, as we know, it's all matchups in the playoffs. Last year they got a bad one with the Pelicans. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that they could probably hang on a third seed in the West. Uh, there's got to yeah, be some kind of metaphor to make there with the Blazers being stuck in an elevator. No, <laughs> it's like this team that is like you can't really ever tell whether yeah. they're going up or down, and they've been stuck in this <laughs> yeah. stage of being pretty good for a really long time. Um, sorry, Cash, what were you going to say? Yeah, no, I just just say, I mean, Wolf, you know this, but I've kind of been beating the Blazers drum all year as this team that, like, I, I still don't know why so many people were out on them at the beginning of the year because I still looked at that roster and I was like, they're still a playoff team. They still got two star quality guards and one superstar level point guard, um, and yeah, I just kind of feel like they're surviving. I don't want to call it a war of attrition in the West, but th- a lot of teams we thought could be contenders have ended up looking like pretenders this year in the West. And the Blazers have just kind of, other than a minor blip here and there, they've just kind of steadily rode the wave. They've been some good teams. They have a good win profile. Um, they're obviously good at home. Like everything's just kind of you know steady eddy for them as it usually is and and they're gonna finish with what 50 wins again and make the playoffs again and probably get home court in the first round they just because they haven't had the playoff success that you know fans want i feel like this run they've been on the last whatever it is like half decade has kind of been underappreciated yeah i think that it was like by default a lot of people thought that they were going to be the team that was going to fall out of the top eight this year i don't know they every year they're you've got a candidate who that's going to be and for some reason that was portland now we see what other teams like the lakers are doing and you know so i mean here the here the here portland is right um but yeah they're still a force to be reckoned with i mean they're still pretty solid and uh you know they, if they get the right matchup they can advance I also think, shout out to uh yusuf nurkic for calling out ben simmons uh, yeah <laughs> i don't know if you guys saw that earlier this week but i didn't what do you say ben simmons was shooting a free throw and missed it and as it was in midair, I think Nurkic said something like, no way, like, or no chance or something like that. And then Ben Simmons walks up to Nurkic and says, you talk a lot of trash, essentially, I'll paraphrase, but said, right. you talk a lot of trash for someone who's so ass. And then Nurkic, after the game, told reporters that, like, even as a big man, he's a better shooter than Ben Simmons. <laughs> Stuff like that. And, yeah, I, I just loved it because, like, listen, Ben Simmons is a great player, but at the same time, Nurkic is also a, a good young big man having a good year, and you can't be calling out other yeah. good players when opposing teams practically guard you from courtside seats, okay? Like, they don't have to stand on the court to guard you. You can't be talking trash. Yeah, he's not talking to Myers Leonard. I mean, he's talking to Yusuf Nurkic. Yeah. I mean, you got you got to exactly. think twice about that. Uh, the Blazers, like, low-key have a bit of an edge. I mean, Zach Collins, I don't know if you guys saw that Warriors game when he got into it with uh, Clay Thompson, and there's a clip where you can kind of read his lips. And uh, I won't repeat the lip reading, but um, th- that team's got a little bit of a nasty streak, and I like that. Uh, Nurkic also is just, first of all, having an unbelievable year uh, at both ends of the floor, and I think that is really what raises this team's ceiling. 
first of all, they've activated him as a playmaker a little bit more. They run more of their offense through the high post, uh, and they're doing a much better job of cutting off of Nurkic, who I think is just really good at making those backdoor passes. Um, but also just like as a rim protector, um, he's been unbelievable. And if you look yeah, like in terms of real plus minus, uh, player impact plus minus, box plus minus, um, pretty much any advanced metric has painted him as like a top 20 player in the league this season. Uh, he's been awesome and, and probably their second best player, I want to say, given that McCollum has, I think, you know, sort of leveled out. Like we know what he is at this point, which is a, a very good scorer, uh, a guy who can get his own shot. And, you know, look, his playmaking has been in a state of arrested development for a couple of years now. I think it's a little bit disappointing. Uh, defensively, he's probably a minus. So I think Nurkic has been the Blazers' second best player. I think he's been more consistent for sure, yeah. Um, but he's also a guy who's just like, from the moment he stepped into the NBA, has been talking trash. Like he, was, he, as a rookie, yeah. was talking trash to, like, Mark Gasol and Zach Randolph. Um, and there was never any back down in that guy. Uh, so... I, I like this Blazers team as well, and they have a pretty soft schedule down the stretch, so I think they can walk into 50 wins pretty easily. And I agree with Chick. I think, you know, how far they go in the playoffs is really going to be determined by the matchups. Um, but without a doubt, I can see them winning around this year. Um, asking for more than that, I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I definitely think uh, we could see them in the second round. I wouldn't be too surprised. My team... Um, is the Orlando Magic, which <laughs> I will admit doesn't look great in light of the fact that they just lost to the suddenly red-hot New York Knicks. Yeah, uh, I thought I thought we were going to go with the Knicks for the team on the move. They <laughs> won two in a row. Man. Two in a row. They won two in a row. Yeah, um, turning things around after that 17-game losing streak. So, <laughs> uh, but before before that loss to the Knicks, and also they lost by a point to the Chicago Bulls. Um, but in between those two games, uh, they dummied the Toronto Raptors for the second time this season. Um, and then just before the All-Star break, they absolutely obliterated the Charlotte Hornets, a team that they are chasing for uh, a playoff spot and also for Southeast Division supremacy, oh, but... if you want to call it that. <laughs> the Southeast Division, just uh, an epic tire fire. And um, I, I'm feeling pretty good about my preseason prediction that that division winner would end up with 38 wins. <laughs> I said it would be the Wizards, so not feeling great about that. But uh, I do think that that division is going to be won by a sub-500 team, which is just crazy. Uh, and even crazier to think that like a few years ago, that team would have ended up with a top oh, three course. seed. Yeah. Um, but uh, again, like b- before, uh, before they hit this kind of rough patch with those losses to um, the Bulls and the Knicks, the Magic were just beating up on teams, and not like pushover teams. They beat the Bucks by 20 points. No Giannis in that game, but even so, uh, a Giannisless Bucks team has proven to be pretty good. Uh, they beat the Wolves by 10. They beat the Hawks by 16. They beat the Pelicans by 30, and they beat the Hornets by 38. Uh, they beat the Pacers before that. They beat the Nets. Uh, they've been pretty consistently good for a couple of weeks now, and honestly, all season long, I've sort of had this feeling about this team that they could be a little bit more uh, because I actually like the talent they have on the team. It's just kind of the same old story where their roster is fairly imbalanced and uh, the vast majority of their talent exists in the front court. And, you know, without a particularly good starting point guard and without a whole lot of depth on the wing, uh, it makes it a bit of a challenge. But um, 
defensively, I like the steps that Aaron Gordon has taken this season, even though offensively, I, I think he remains a bit stunted. And obviously, you know, Nikola Vucevic has just been a monster. Uh, and his ability now to beat people up in the post or to stretch them out makes him a, a matchup nightmare for most centers in the league. Uh, I'm really interested to see what kind of contract he gets in the offseason because the center market is obviously so saturated. Uh, but I think there are a couple teams who need a center who, uh, like, look, if you were choosing between Vucevic and Cousins who you wanted to pay, I think I would pick Vucevic and it would be a no-brainer. Yeah, you know what? That's... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, yeah, he's, he's um, you know, his health is more of a sure thing right now. And he's probably, if you're talking just about the offensive end, there are not many big men with a more complete packet, like complete game. Than Nikola Vucevic, as Joe mentioned, he can beat you up inside, and he's almost automatic down low. But then he can stretch you out. He can hit a mid-range jumper. He can punish you from the perimeter. Like, you know, he can move the ball. He sees the floor well. There's really not much offensively that the guy can't do. Yeah, I mean, and obviously with Boogie, you know, the question marks are coming off the Achilles injury too. I mean, there's a lot of question marks there. Vucevic. This is this is a career season for him. He had another big year about four years ago. He ran into some injuries and some other issues. Played for some bad teams as well that had way too many centers. Um, but yeah, no, this it's going to be really interesting with him actually too. I mean, you, you know, we wonder like, is there a lot of interest for a traditional five? Uh, but this guy can be a dominant player. And if I'm not mistaken, he is 29. So yeah, I mean. And and far as what he's doing for the Magic this year, um, yeah, I mean, this team, you know, like, Wolfon's right. I mean, they've had talent for a couple of years. It's certainly front-loaded. But, I mean, with Steve Clifford coming in, he's a defensive-minded coach. I think he's he's got these guys playing the right way. They definitely could use a better point guard, like in a, a starting-caliber point guard anyway. Um, I don't know how far they're going to go in the playoffs. But, I mean, Evan Fournier said – uh, a couple weeks ago, he said, like, we need to make the playoffs or this is it for this iteration of the Orlando Magic. And it really, it may be it for this iteration if Vucevic moves on, too. So, you know, it's it's good to see. This is a team, I think they have, like, the third longest playoff drought in the NBA. So it's uh, it'll be nice to see them get in. I They have a soft schedule down the stretch. I kind of expect them to end up winning the Southeast. And I think they could climb as high <laughs> as, as, high as sixth. Uh, in the East because the Nets have a pretty tough schedule down the stretch. Um, so, yeah, I, I would definitely expect to see that team in the playoffs. And I think, I know it's no great achievement to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, but I think it's pretty important for that team that hasn't made it in so long uh, to just get at least a couple of home playoff games. And, you know, I think them keeping Vucevic through the deadline definitely sig- signaled an indication that they would like to keep him around for a little bit longer than that. And I don't think that's such a bad idea, given how far away Mo Bamba looked to be when he was playing. Yeah. Um, and I really like the strides that Jonathan Isaac has taken. Uh, I have a lot of high hopes for him. Uh, I think, you know, maybe they can sign him to a shorter-term deal two or three years and ride that out until Bamba's ready. And maybe, I don't know, maybe Aaron Gordon is the guy that they decide to trade. Obviously, it's not entirely tenable the way that they've constructed their roster right now. Uh and they're going to have a lot of interesting decisions to make this offseason. But uh, as far as this season goes, I, I expect to see them in the playoffs. Um, yeah. 
Aaron Gordon not being a, a natural small forward is kind of part as much as they need a point guard. That's also like a big part of their uh, roster and stability and just like how ill fitting it is because they try to cram him into the three with you know Isaac and Vucevic and it just like doesn't work. I don't know how much longer we have to watch Aaron Gordon at the three to realize he's more of a small ball four. Um, the other thing that you know didn't mean to laugh at you there, Joe, but I just when when you said they'd win the Southeast Division, I don't know if anyone wins the Southeast <laughs> Division as much as they survive whatever that division is. So every, the entire Southeast Division right now takes up the eight to twelve spots in the East. Yeah, it's uh like they whoever wins is better not hang any kind of division title banner. <laughs> if That's they comical. do, then. If someone hangs a division banner for winning the 2019 uh, <laughs> Southeast, Adam Silver should punish them the same way like you can be punished for like severe tampering. You should take away a draft pick or something because that would be a just a disgrace to the game. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I'll just say that a lot of these teams are, are sort of sad sack franchises that I think need just anything good to happen to them and something that they can sell their fans. And, you know, going into next season, I'm 100% certain that whichever team wins this division is going to be selling season ticket packages and promos with the headline, uh, Southeast Division Champion <laughs> Orlando Magic, uh, gearing up for a big 2019-20 season. Can, uh, can't they improve on their 39-43 and 43 division winning year? <laughs> yeah, I think we're all excited to find out. Um, Let's move over to the Western Conference, though, where another playoff race is taking shape. And the way I see it, uh, there are five teams who are in the mix for the final two playoff spots out West. And those teams are the Clippers, the Spurs, the Kings, the Lakers, and the Timberwolves, who, you know, the Wolves, I don't think, have really been talked about as a team that is in this playoff mix. But they are right there now tied with the Lakers for 10th place. Uh, both those teams three games out of a playoff spot and surprisingly is the Clippers who are in seventh right now at 34 and 28 they've gone four and three since trading Tobias Harris Uh, I think a lot of people expected that they would fall out which may still happen I think a lot of people also expected that they their preference would be to fall out uh, because the Clippers uh, owe a lottery-protected first-round draft pick to the Boston Celtics, so they only get to keep that pick if they miss the playoffs. But um, Steve Ballmer went on TV last week and said that the Clippers have every intention of making the playoffs, which, I mean, what's he supposed to say, really? But uh, it seems like they are, you know, perfectly content to ride this thing out, and as much as, you know, they traded their best player, uh, they don't seem to have gotten that much worse. Uh, I mean, the teams they've beaten since then have not been particularly impressive opponents, but uh, I think sneakily, like, they actually made some nice uh, supplementary moves at the deadline, getting, you know, Jermichael Green, Garrett Temple. Montrez Harrell has just continued consuming souls. Um, I, I don't know, man. Do you guys see this team as, as one of the two remaining playoff seeds? Yeah, I think that they might just hold on to a playoff spot. I think, for me, the big thing is, okay, yes, they lost their best player in Tobias Harris, but the strength of this Clippers team was that they essentially have no bad players, like, up and down this roster. Everyone they put on the core is, like, at the very least, an NBA-caliber rotation talent, and that hasn't changed even after the Tobias trade. Like, their rotation is still stocked full of, you know, good players, average at the very worst. The issue with them is, you know, 
the reason they won't do anything once the playoffs come is because they don't have that like star level talent that can take over a game. But losing how are you going to do your pies on like that, Cash? (laughs) Listen, you know I was going to bring up when 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 you said they traded their best player to Tobias Harris and say, "Oh, I don't know." Gallo changed his name to Tobias Harris, but um, no, look, Gallo. Even you know if you look at a lot of the advanced metrics, like. Gallo um, leads the Clippers in a lot of ways, and they're just a lot worse without him. Um, Gallo would tell you that too. It, he he recently tweeted out the uh, the real plus minus offensive leaderboard where uh, he was sitting in tenth place. So, but no, he's having a great offensive year. He is what he is. Yeah, as I was saying, the Clippers. You know, nothing changed about them for me. They got a little thinner, I guess, in terms of top-end talent, but they didn't have much of it anyway. They're still good enough and deep enough to make the playoffs. They're just not talented enough to do anything once there. Yeah, I think it's going to depend on the other teams in the race, too. I think that, you know, the Clippers, yeah, they probably do have the talent to make the playoffs. And I mean, you know, they got Lou off the bench. Like you said, Gallo. I mean, Montrezl Harrell has been pretty fun to watch the last couple weeks. And, and, I mean, with, with Shea Gilgis-Alexander as well, I mean, they got these younger players that you kind of want to see excel, but, you know, they're still in the learning curve as well. So, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they fell out. I think uh, I was looking at – I don't have their schedule right in front of me, but their last five games of the season are pretty tough, and they play the Lakers in there. And the Lakers' schedule in that last five games is pretty tough too. So, this could be a pretty crazy final fortnight, I guess, to the season. Uh, when we get into like March and April, um, so I think a lot of it's going to play out then. I wouldn't be surprised if they fell out though. So for the record, uh, remaining strength of schedule in terms of difficulty, and th- and this uh, is from Basketball Reference, so it, it uh, basically only takes into account um, opponent record, not sort of home road splits or back to backs or anything like that. But in terms of opponent record. Um, the Lakers have the most difficult schedule of these five teams, followed by the Wolves, followed by the Clippers, followed by the Kings, followed by the Spurs. Um, so the Kings and Spurs have the two easiest schedules of these teams down the stretch. And the Lakers have the most difficult, yeah. which is going to make things tough for them because they are already three games out. Uh, but let's talk about the Spurs because this looked for a while to be a team that was going to coast into the playoffs. Uh, you know, through the middle portion of the season, I think they were really starting to pick things up. Their defense had seemed to improve quite a bit. Uh, and they were running, you know, at least for a month-long stretch, the most efficient offense in the NBA. Uh, they have hit a really, really rough patch here. Their rodeo trip went disastrously. They went 1-7, and seven, got outscored by an average of 14 points a game. They gave up 130 points to the Knicks. Um and now they're down to eighth place and only a game up on the Kings. Uh, where do you guys see the Spurs season ending up? Because uh, right now they have a playoff streak of 21 years on the line, and uh, it definitely looks to be in jeopardy. I, I still think they figure out a way to get in. Um, to me, the Spurs are kind of what a lot of us thought they'd be at this point of the season, a lower half West playoff team with a really bad defense because they don't have good defenders. Um, but look, they're they're gonna have to get a lot more home games now. Um, their schedule turns a little bit for them. I know, like Joe was just mentioning, the strength of schedule they've got out of the five teams we're talking about, um, they've got the easiest schedule. And I just I think they just find a way to kind of stay in there, whether it's the seven or eight seed. Um, I, I just believe in Pop too much. You know, I know 
there's only certain things a coach can do, and you're seeing that with how bad they are defensively. But I still think they find a way to grab either the seventh or the eighth seed. And I, you know, I don't think uh, they're the threat they once were. Obviously, come springtime, but there's still enough here, and there's still enough good coaching and um, and discipline and all that that goes into it to kind of stay level-headed through this to to right the ship. But the, the rodeo road trip was unlike anything I've ever seen. The Spurs usually at least kind of tread water during these long trips and they just got obliterated including by some bad teams like that game against the Knicks was unbelievable and again the Knicks came into that game on a 17 game losing streak (laughs) so uh, it's really hard to overstate what a bad loss that was Um, so Cash you you think they'll get in and you think the Clippers will also get in no I listen I think the Clippers they they do still have enough talent to get in is all I was saying even after the Tobias trade but I don't think they will I think if I had to put money on it, I'd say, honestly, I think the Spurs and Kings take those last two spots. Wow. Yeah, I mostly was cash on that one in terms of the Spurs for sure. I mean, you know, we know exactly what this team is. We saw their problems defensively early on in the season, so a lot of people were writing them off then. And they kind of righted the ship. They were up, I think, as high as sixth at some point, maybe even higher at one point. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is Greg Popovich we're talking about. I mean, he's got an odd collection of players right now. It, it, it's kind of trying to fit, you know, square pegs and round holes kind of thing. But he's been doing it, you know, if there's any coach who can do that, it's, it's Pop. And, uh, I mean, you know, the talent they do have, well, it doesn't necessarily fit. I mean, there are some good players there still. Um, I think that rodeo road trip must have been like the. I think I read it was their worst rodeo road trip in the last since during their playoff streak going back to like '97 or something like that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just I guess it's just like history bias. But I would p- probably put the Spurs in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I always remember that rodeo road trip as being the point of the season where the Spurs really establish their dominance <laughs> over the rest of the league. Um, and, you know, historically, that's been they, they go on this crazy run and it tends to start or at least encompass that road trip. And um, it's just another example of how this team has changed. And uh, unfortunately, you know, they, they are just not the dynastic force that they once were. And uh, now they just find themselves fighting for a playoff spot. So let's talk about the Kings who are chasing the Spurs down. Uh, they're one game back and... While the Spurs have made the playoffs 21 years in a row, the Kings have not made the playoffs in 13 years. That is the longest active streak in the league, uh, thanks to uh, the Timberwolves breaking their own playoff drought last year. Um, what do you guys think about the Kings' chances? Uh, I like them. Go ahead, Cash. Oh, no. That, that, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just saying I like them. Yeah, no, I mean, like we were saying earlier, I mean, they've got an exciting collection of young players. And, I mean, that might be the operative keyword is young. Um, I think what works for him is, is Dave Yeager. He's a great coach. Um, this is kind of what he wanted, the position he wanted to be in. There have been rumors early in the season that, you know, the, the typical Kings dysfunction that maybe they wanted to go just strictly in the youth direction. Yeager didn't want to be a part of that because he wanted to, like, actually – compete for a playoff spot and now they're basically right in the race it's exactly where he wanted to be so I like their chances based on that alone and I mean we were talking about De'Aaron Fox earlier it's a very exciting player Buddy Heald um, just unconscious three-point shooting I think he might have cooled a little bit lately but for a while he was just lights out and I mean yeah you know you've got some interesting front court players as well Um, I, I just 
I, I guess, again, with them, it's like I want to see them make the playoffs because I like what they can bring to the table. It's just that I start to ask, well, what about these other teams? Like, you know, it all really comes back to the Lakers, I think. We're going to talk about them in a minute. But, but yeah, I mean, everybody's question mark is, is LeBron James going to miss the playoffs for, like, the first time since, like, there was no Twitter? So, I mean, when you start thinking about things like that, I mean, did the Kings have the horses to do that? I mean, the way the Lakers are playing, yeah, probably. But, I mean, you know, I, I think there's just so many balls up in the air. Um, I like their chances, but if somebody goes on a tear – then they could get bumped up. Yeah, a couple of things with the Kings. I mean, to to piggyback on your point about Buddy Heald, I feel like maybe not m- enough has been made of the fact that he's shooting 45% from three on 7.6 attempts per game. <laughs> that is insane. That's crazy. Um, and I think Bagley, look, they finally inserted Bagley into the starting lineup uh, after, you guys might remember, you know, sort of early in the season, uh, there was a bit of contention between the front office and Dave Yeager yeah. about um, him starting Bielitsa over Bagley. Uh, Bagley has played his way into that starting lineup, and he's been great. And I actually think, you know, on top of his kind of offensive prowess, and I think, you know, he's still pretty one-hand dominant, but it almost doesn't matter because of his ability to just overpower guys. But I, I think that he is not the defensive liability that a lot of people thought he would be. Um, he is still obviously a rookie and makes a lot of rookie mistakes, but I think looking down the road, um, I, I don't think he's necessarily going to be uh, a defensive minus by any means. And, you know, regardless of what happens with this team, I just think this is going to be the most exciting team of this group to watch and to see how they handle the pressure of this playoff chase because uh, this is the first such moment for a lot of these guys. And... Um, you know, how they handle it, I think, is going to be pretty telling. Uh, unfortunately, Harrison Barnes has just been terrible since they acquired him. He's seen like the, the sort of veteran presence that would maybe help steady the ship a little bit. Uh, and that might still be the case, but he's had a bit of a rough go in his first few games with the Kings. So I guess we should talk about the Lakers now. Um, and look, we're, we're going to be talking about this from now until basically until we know what they're playoff fate is going to be um this has just been a dominant storyline all season long and uh you know it's going to continue to be for as long as we don't know whether or not lebron is going to miss the playoffs so here's where we're at with the lakers they are 29 and 31 they're three games out um lebron famously said that he was activating playoff mode after the all-star break and we have all seen what playoff LeBron looks like. It is a terrifying sight. This is not playoff LeBron. It just isn't. And I don't know, and I think this is probably the most pertinent question for the Lakers right now. I don't know if this is something that he can't do because he is physically compromised because, you know, that, that uh, groin injury is still bothering him or he isn't fully back in shape yet. Uh, or whether this is just something that he won't do because he's checked out, because he doesn't really see the point in pushing hard to make the playoffs with a team that is probably going to get balanced in the first round anyway. Um, so that to me is the big question. Like, is this a can't do or a won't do type of thing for LeBron? Um, because again, this is not LeBron in playoff mode. And uh, the Lakers, for all the flack that their defense has taken, and LeBron defensively has not been good. Uh, they rank 22nd in the league on offense this season, which for a LeBron James-led team is unthinkable. And I just, again, like they have the toughest remaining schedule of any of these teams. 
it is going to be a monumental task for them to get in. And I, I just, I think if you had told me at the start of the season that LeBron James was going to miss a month and the Lakers were going to miss the playoffs, I wouldn't have been that surprised. But the way that it has unfolded, you know, this isn't like they've been overwhelmed by the ridiculous quality of the Western Conference. Like, they are below 500. And even just to watch their games, they look so despondent. And um, I, I don't know. I think I, if I had to guess, I would say that they missed the playoffs, which is crazy. Yeah, this is what happens when you build the team around LeBron James that Johnson and Rob Plinka have built. Um, that You know, the young guys haven't taken the steps forward that a lot of people hope for. And it's weird because, like, so Ingram and Kuzma have actually been playing well lately, but it hasn't happened within um, the confines of, like, a productive team is what's kind of strange about it. Um, it's almost like those guys are making their leaps, but they're doing it, like, outside of the team, and the team is still bad as a whole. Uh, they still don't have enough shooting. The defense has been up and down all year. As Joe mentioned, their scoring is inefficient as hell, which doesn't make much sense, even when LeBron's on the court. Um, there's just a lot that doesn't make sense with this team, and it goes back to the beginning of the year and the way they built this roster that – Anyone with half a basketball mind could see that it wasn't an optimal um, roster to surround LeBron with. And yeah, then he misses a month, and now Lonzo's out. And Lonzo actually is really important to what they do. He's, um, you know, for all the jokes about his shooting and his dad, he's probably one of the more underrated players in the league in terms of his on-court impact. Mm -hmm. And I think you're seeing that right now. And yeah, that this team's just not good. Like full stop. We're in late February, and they're under 500. And and. Joe kind of hit it on the head. They haven't been overwhelmed by the talent of the West. I think they've been more overwhelmed by how underwhelming their own team is um, and how mentally fragile they are. And look, I know it's very easy for us to, you know, sit here and talk about, you know, how the young guys should just get over it. Obviously, it's different to actually be in that situation, to be a pro athlete who doesn't know whether they're going to be on the move or what the case may be, to know that your, you know, team tried to trade you away for a bigger name. But at the end of the day, like, they're not the first set of youngsters that have had to deal with it. So, you know, put on your big boy pants and get to work and, you know, try to help this team make the playoffs. Because right now, it, it this team just looks like three different teams at once. LeBron kind of looks like a one-man show, at least on the offensive end. He's not doing anything on the defensive end. And like I mentioned, the young guys are playing well, but it's not really translating to the game. LeBron's seemingly calling out the young guys for, you know, Maybe this isn't for them if they're if the pressure is getting to them. But then he's also not exactly playing up to a hundred percent capabilities. There's just so much going on with this team. Um, Luke Walton's clearly fallen out of favor, uh, even with their fans. If you just log on Twitter, and I know Twitter's not the best uh, outlet to find reason to takes, but still, I think it. You can, no, no team's fan base is happy with its coach. Let's be honest. But, yeah, but what I was gonna say, I think you can get can kind of find a, t a fan base's pulse um, on social media and this this fan base has been out on Walton for a while now this season mm -hmm. yeah there's just, there's just a lot going on with this team and none of it is good and you know we've all learned to not doubt LeBron James many times before especially in the playoffs but right now you're looking at a Lakers team that needs to overcome a three game deficit with 22 games left and the, one of the toughest schedules in the league I, I just don't know if I see it anymore yeah, I mean, and it, this goes back to the thing you wrote, Wolfon, uh, back in July. I think it was entitled, What the Hell Are the Lakers Doing? Um, like after they signed Rondo. And, I mean, this is basically the end result of that. I mean, this team doesn't make much sense. 
And, you know, but the thing is, and the reason I, I will never totally rule them out is because of LeBron. But like you said, at the same time, we don't know if this is a case right now where he's checked out. Uh, you know, we, we know he's not 100% himself since a groin injury. Um, but, you know, those last five games, which I was looking at, the last five games of the season are going to be very tough. But at the same time, if LeBron decides to pour it on and score 48 a night, I wouldn't call it impossible. Um, is it likely at this point? No. And, he, you know, the next best player on the team is Kyle Kuzma, who's 23 years old. So th this team isn't going anywhere. So, you know, there's a real possibility that, yeah, I mean, this, this was a lifestyle, lifestyle decision first and foremost for LeBron by going to L.A. this year. Um, he's, he's, he's tweeting more. He's hanging out with two chains the night before he, like, misses a game. So he, maybe his decisions haven't been good his first year in Southern California. They say that that – city can mess with your head a little bit they're know. in pre-production for space jam 2 already <laughs> that's right so, <laughs> so i mean like you know and i think when when rich paul made that push to get anthony davis and it didn't work out maybe lebron just said yeah you know what maybe i'm going to take may and june off this year and uh we'll try and get things together next year uh whoever that is but we'll find out like like i said down the stretch i just can't you just can't ever rule him out we saw what he did in the playoffs in 2015 uh, with the Cavs when Kyrie and Kevin Love went down. But th that team had to get there first, so LeBron could do that. So I don't think that that's the same comparison at all, but you, you can never rule them out. And I also... The weird thing to me is, like, it's one thing if, um, like, we've seen, you know, chill mode LeBron before, which is kind of what he's doing right now, especially on the defensive end. It's one thing if that's just is what it is. And people were talking about whether his groin is healthy and, you know, how engaged he was with this team. The thing I don't understand is why LeBron came out and said he was activating playoff game. <laughs> if he wasn't going to kind of go like ball to the wall, full throttle, and, and that level of play we all know he can obviously still get to that can just absolutely take a game over and almost will his teams to win unless it's the Warriors. Yeah, and that, that's, I don't understand why yeah, he said he would do it yeah. if he knew he wasn't. And that's the thing too, right? Like you saw it the other night, the day after he says that, um, like he looks like a extra in a movie on defense. Like guys are just blowing by him. He's standing around. But we saw that last year too, late in the Cavs season. People are calling out his lack of defense. Maybe he's saving himself for the stretch run offensively anyway. Um, yeah, he's really going to have to really turn it up at some point um, for real. I mean, rather than just pay lip service to media questions um, if they're going to do this. But, but again, like we said, there's a possibility that he might be ready just to, to punt on this season. I don't know. I know this doesn't really matter, but, like, why do they trade Zubac? They, their center rotation is a mess. JaVale McGee has regressed hard. And Zubac might have been their best center, and they traded him for Mike Muscala. That just makes no sense to me. And like, it's almost like Magic Johnson and Kobe's agent aren't good at, like, <laughs> team building. I, I mean, I like the move to go and get Reggie Bullock. I think, you know, that showed some some actual... I don't know if it's foresight, but at least like it was an acknowledgement that hey, look, we need to put some shooters around LeBron. Like we we got this wrong. Uh, but then they had Zubac, who was a young center, who look, I don't, he's not a star or anything, but he was playing quite well. And again, they just they they could use whatever center depth they can get. And again, on the list of Lakers problems, this is pretty low, but it's like the, these things have compounding effects. And. I didn't understand that trade at all. Yeah, I think the logic to Mescala was to get a shooter as well with some size, which if you're getting Mescala for shooting alone, I don't know if that's the greatest deal. But 
Yeah, sure. But I think, you know, you, look, you still need to have uh, a rim runner. And I think, you yeah. know, LeBron has played pretty well with guys who have that skill set. So um, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But we should probably move on. Uh, we have not really talked about the Timberwolves in a long time. Um, and it's funny because this team was sort of at the center of the NBA universe for a large portion of the start of the season with the Jimmy Butler drama, then the Jimmy Butler trade, then Tom Thibodeau's firing, uh, and then, you know, the sort of bump that the team got in the wake of all those things happening. Uh, after the Butler trade, they went on a crazy run. After Thibodeau got fired, they had a couple really nice wins under Ryan Saunders. And they've sort of faded into the background, and I think a lot of people forgot about them. But here they are. They're right where the Lakers are at 29-31. and 31. Uh, They have an easier schedule down the stretch. Uh, And if we look at the teams in this mix, you know, you take the Lakers out of the equation and the Wolves have the best player by far. So are we sleeping on this team? Uh, You know, do they have a chance to get in ahead of maybe, you know, the Kings or the Spurs or the Clippers? Yeah, I think uh, I think they do. I think that like this is probably one of the teams that could get in. And, uh, you know, the two of these five teams fighting for that spot um like they've got experience playoff experience on the roster i mean it's not a lot but i think that does count for something sometimes down the stretch uh carl anthony towns uh, went off the other night a day after he got into a car accident he sounded like he was pretty shaken up about the accident um i don't know maybe something like that has a has could have a tendency to inspire him um but i mean like I, i like the makeup of the team i mean i have a lot of question marks about andrew wiggins but I mean, I think this is a this is a playoff team with the players they've got. I, I think that that's a fair assumption. Um, you know, I think Ryan Saunders is in a position where he can get these guys, motivate these guys to to to, to win down the stretch. And if they've got one of the easier schedules, which apparently they do, um, you know, if the Lakers are gonna kind of fall by the wayside, this is a team that should be able to get in there. It's interesting, too, because they've actually beaten the Clippers and the Kings in the last two weeks, including the Kings just a couple of nights ago. So, like, you know, those are obviously huge wins to keep them in this race. But I still – I know in terms of, like, the actual numbers of their strength of schedule, it's it's one of the easier ones out of the five teams we're talking about. But I still look at that schedule and don't think the Timberwolves will be able to manage it. Like, they still play the Thunder. They play the Nuggets a couple of times. They play the Raptors. They play the Warriors twice. They play Philly. Um I, I still don't think I, mean, I think they play Houston and Utah on the road as well like mm. there's still a lot of games in there that I just don't trust this Timberwolves team to win and as those add up the you know their tragic number uh, is gonna shrink big swing factor to me is Covington and whether he can make it back uh, he's yeah. been out for I think like six weeks now uh, with his ankle injury and it's really hard to overstate the impact that he had on that team when he was healthy and, uh, yeah, if he can make it back, I think that might be the push that they need in order to get in. I think, look, Josh Okoji has done a really good job of filling in, but Covington ultimately is a better defender than Okoji is, and he's a much, much better shooter. So, I, I, look, that, that I think could make a big difference for them. And even if they want to keep Okoji in the rotation and Covington does make it back, I think it's probably uh, Andrew Wiggins' minutes who are, is uh, going to get it eaten into uh, because – I, I've really tried to be so patient with Wiggins and have have always preached this, you know, mentality that, look, he's still young. He's got time. After that, it was, I still think he has some nice skills here. And if you pare down his role, 
and uh, you know get him to basically be an off the catch attacker who doesn't try to do too much, then he can still be effective for you. I- I'm just at a point right now where I don't think he is contributing to winning at all. And if Covington can make it back, I think I'm not saying like they would excise him from the rotation, but for his role to be scaled back, I think would be a good thing for them. Agree. Yeah, Covington was, you know, before he got hurt, whether it was Philly or Minnesota, the guy was looking like a potential all-defensive first-team member. Yeah. Like, he was that good on the defensive end um, while providing some shooting on the other end. And as for Wiggins, yeah, I mean, look, it, I think we all um, had hopes for him and thought he would turn it around. But we're talking about a guy now, who's now five years into his NBA career and has the exact same concerns <laughs> surrounding him as he had in college five years ago, which was – that you know his motor just isn't there his effort is inconsistent he's very lackadaisical um and and the, we're seeing the product of that like the guy if he hasn't regressed he's stagnated at yeah. best yeah he's, so, he, there's just no development there there's no reason to think it's going to come while he's now making a good jillion dollars a year yeah unfortunately uh I think uh, we're starting to get to that point, and <laughs> he's got four years left on that mammoth extension, so uh, that's not great news for Minnesota. But what is good news for them is that they have they have more depth, I think, than they've had in a really long time. And uh, Taj Gibson's coming off the bench now. Saric has, has been inserted in the starting lineup. He's been playing great. Um, Derek Rose continues to, you know, surprisingly be pretty effective coming off of the bench. Uh, I've always been a big Tyus Jones fan. Luol Deng, weirdly enough, has played really well off the bench. He's got a bit of pep in his step after taking a year and a half off of basketball, basically. Um, so I, I like this team. And I, you know, I said this at the time that they made that Jimmy Butler trade. If you just showed me this team on paper at the start of the season without all the drama and the four and nine start that they got off to, I would think this is a playoff team. So if they can get healthy, if Covington can come back, um, I actually think that they might su- surprise some people and, uh, and end up in that mix. Um, but let's wrap up here just really quickly um, talking about uh, the TNT doubleheader we saw last night. Um, the Raptors uh, beat the hell out of the Celtics, and then uh, the Nuggets built a big lead on the Thunder, survived a big comeback, and pulled away at the end of the game. Uh, I'll just get one quick thought from each of you uh, about both of those games. So, Cash, what was your takeaway from Raptors-Celtics? Um, the Celtics are broken um, spiritually. And then real quickly, just the Raptors are a much smarter team, especially moving the ball than they were a few weeks ago because of the additions to the Solomon. Yeah, I think, you know, for the Raptors, that's that's probably the game that a lot of fans have been waiting for where, where they kind of – everything came together and executed. I think that that, you know, Boston playing terribly had something to do with that, though, and I think that they have real concerns. My thought on Boston all season long has been that, I mean, maybe they just hadn't put it together because, you know, they've got the wealth of talent all healthy. Uh, but now I really ask if Kyrie Irving's capable of leading a team anywhere. I mean, he was, the, he was behind LeBron at Cleveland. And uh, I, I think the Celtics are kind of a mess. I mean, I still think they're a good, well-coached team, but Kyrie didn't seem to give his coach a lot of props last night after that game. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not high on the Celtics right now. Food for thought, the Celtics are 9-2 and two when Kyrie doesn't play this season wow. and only 28-22 and 22 when he does play. Uh, he's been awesome, so I can't entirely explain that. Uh, except to say that that game they played against the Sixers was illuminating in the sense that when Kyrie isn't out there, the Celtics defense does not really have a weak spot that you can exploit. You know, when it's Marcus Smart out there instead of Kyrie, they're basically just running out an army of strong, switchable defenders. 
so not having a place to attack is, uh, you know, a, a pretty big advantage. Um, and ultimately, I don't think they're better off without Kyrie. I just think, um, like you said, Cash, there, there's something that is a little bit broken there right now. And I have been, you know, kind of cautiously optimistic that they would turn things around at some point in time, but that is being tested at this moment. Um, let's talk quickly about Nuggets Thunder. Nikola Jokic, uh, just an unbelievable showing in this game. Uh, did Steven Adams pretty dirty all game long. And Steven Adams is a really good defender. Um, but he had no answer for Jokic, who finished with 35, 10, and 9. Uh, Cash, any big sweeping takeaways from this game? You know, between two teams, though, I think we'd probably say are in uh, contention for, you know, being the, the second best team in the West right now. Yeah, I think um, it was an, another kind of signature win and signature season for the Nuggets and for Jokic. And I just say that Jokic, for whatever reason, gives the Thunder problems. He always has. Um, this season especially and yes Steven Adams you know I'm a big fan of what he does on the court and obviously a great defensive player but for some reason uh Jokic just always gets the best of him and you do wonder if that uh if that carries over to the spring if these two teams do meet and say like a two versus three second round matchup if that if that could be the difference yeah it was kind of an old school center post matchup eh? and uh like yeah I mean obviously everything's different in the playoffs you know benches tighten up I think that Denver kind of still scares me a little bit even though they're a top 10 defensive team right now I just question you know how that's going to work in the playoffs I mean I think that they if they get home court which they will have at least through a couple of rounds uh, at the rate they're going they'll be fine because it's very hard to win in Denver their best home record in the league um, but, like, I look at OKC, yeah, and th- these two teams are probably the next two best teams in the West after Golden State. You know, there's a bit of a drop from the Warriors. But, yeah, I mean, if, if last night was any indication, I think that it, it could be an entertaining playoff series. Um, I, I still wouldn't rule the Thunder out, though. Yeah, to me, the Rockets are really the only team that can kind of crash that party. But uh, if I came away with a big takeaway from this game, it was just that I would absolutely love to see seven games of this yeah. in the second round because uh, I think these teams are both really fun, really interesting. Uh, and I like the way that they match up with each other. Uh, I think that would be an awesome and fascinating series. And I think, like you were saying, if the Nuggets have home court, they're 27-4 and four at home this year. They're really tough to beat in that building. Um, but, you know, they would also be uh, at an experience deficit. You know, the Thunder, obviously, a team that has kind of been through it and has a lot more playoff-hardened players than the Nuggets do. So I think that would be super interesting, um, as last night's game was. But I think that's going to do it for this week's episode um want to say thanks to chick for jumping on with us thanks to cash for calling in and a special thanks to subway for sponsoring us today we will talk to you all next week